Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So today, I want to leave two words with you. Think you can handle two words? All right. Rick, maybe a little tough for you at your age, but I'm going to try, all right? Here are the two words, so that. Everybody say, so that. So that. So that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, those two words are repeated six times in those two short chapters. And I've learned that when a phrase or words like that are repeated over and over, that you need to pay attention to them. So open your Bibles or your phones or whatever you have the Word of God on uh, to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We'll start in chapter 9 reading verses 8 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. It says, And God is able to bless you abundantly. Can we say amen to that? How many feel blessed? We are blessed people. We're blessed abundantly, the scripture says. That's the promise, so that, here comes the purpose. The promise is God will bless us abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, You will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Thank God for the promise. You'll be enriched in every way so that, here's the purpose, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The promise in verse 8, God's abundant supply. The purpose so that we can abound in every good work. Promise in verse 11, so that you, uh, is that God will be generous to us so that we can be generous. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said it this way, freely you have received, freely give. We have been blessed so that we can be a blessing. Everybody say that with me. We have been blessed so that we can be a blessing. You might say, well, I don't really feel blessed. Have, have, you, have you been to the store lately and seen the price of bread and eggs or whatever it might be? Remember when eggs were less than $100 a dozen? Anybody remember that? You say, well, I don't, you know, do you understand that the economy's bad and crime rates going off the wall. I don't feel, I want to tell us we're blessed. And sometimes we, I notice we sang all the old songs today. Some of them I had almost forgotten. It's been so long since I heard. So it's always good to sing about the blood of Jesus. But one of the old songs I love is count your many blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. We are blessed. And sometimes we have to remember that we had just how blessed we are. You know, one of the blessings that we have is that we get to sit in church today with other believers here in Knoxville, Tennessee, in the greatest nation, the greatest state, and the greatest nation on the face of the earth. With all of our problems, we're still the greatest nation. I believe that with all my heart. I love going on missions trips, and I'll be telling you about some of them this morning. But now when I get back to America, the first thing I want to do is (laughs) kneel down and kiss the ground because we're still a great nation. Our very first trip that we ever took, Nancy and I, back in 1993, 
Most of you weren't born then. But in 1993, we went to the country of Romania. Romania had just uh, overthrown their dictator, Ceausescu, a few, uh, a few years earlier, and we went to work with orphans. And while we were there, we stayed with a young Romanian couple. Her name, we don't remember his name, but we remember her name because her and Nancy talked all the time. Imagine that if you know Nancy. But they, they talked a lot, and her name was Donna. And Donna had learned to speak English by watching American television. How many know she had some interesting, uh, interesting vocabulary? And her favorite show was Dallas. How many remember Dallas? How many watch Dallas? Y'all are going to hell, I'm telling you right now. Uh, you know, I, I recently re-watched an episode of Dallas, and now I remember why we didn't watch Dallas. It was pretty bad. But her, she had a burning question in her heart. And the question was, who shot Bobby? And we go, no, 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 it's who shot JR. She goes, no, I know who shot JR. Who shot Bobby? We didn't even know Bobby had been shot. We felt really bad about that. But, uh, and I still don't know who shot Bobby or JR, to be honest about it. But as, they, as the, the week went on, their conversation got deeper. And the night before we were to leave to fly back to America, Donna looked at Nancy and asked her a question that we've never been able to forget. And we found the answer finally, but it's a question that basically made us stop and reflect. And the question was, why were you born in America and me here in Romania? What she was asking is, why were you born to freedom and me to an evil dictator? Why were you born to prosperity and I was born to lack? And you know what? We need to ask ourselves that question because we have been born in this country, many of us, or we get to live in this country for a reason. And I found that reason in Acts chapter 17, and it has to do with these two words, so that. Listen to this, Acts chapter 17, verse 26. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that God appointed when America was to be born, and we pray that never die, but, but God appointed that, and he did it so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Why has the Lord allowed us to be born in this nation? Why did God allow me to be born to my parents in Detroit, Michigan, 103 years ago? Why? It's so that I could hear the gospel and that I could respond to the gospel and then I can take the gospel around the world. We were blessed so that we could be a blessing. You know what? We are so blessed. Right here in Knoxville, you can go out to your car and uh, turn on four or five Christian radio, any type of Christian music you want from, from contemporary to old Southern gospel. You can have, you can watch TV and find any number of TV stations. The gospel is abundant all around us and it's for a reason. It's so that we can hear that and respond to it. But then once we've responded and once we've tasted of eternal life, God wants us to take that same blessing to the world. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. Now, I want to give you four or five characteristics of so that living. Can you all listen fast if I talk fast? All right. Number one, so that living goes all in. 
goes all in. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 says this, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Paul says they, they exceeded our expectations. How? By giving themselves before they ever gave an offering, before they ever wrote their first tithe check, before they ever went online and gave, they gave themselves. And I want you to know I'm here today not because God wants your money or needs your money. What God wants is you. And when he has you and he has all of you, then he has all of you. He has everything else that goes with that. They'd gone all in. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5, again, in the message paraphrase this time, says this was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and it caught us completely off guard. What explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God unreservedly to God and to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. God is not looking for an offering at the end of the service. He's looking for an offering of your heart. God wants all of us. He wants our heart, our time, our, our gifts, our talents. He wants our careers. He wants our relationships. He wants our obedience. He wants our dream. But the good thing about God is he doesn't just want the good stuff about us. He wants the junk, too. And how many can admit we got some junk, all right? Am I the only one with junk in my, in my life? He wants my pain, my hurts. He wants my failures. He wants my fears. I think bottom line, what God wants from each and every one sitting here and what it means to go all in is to say yes to him. An unqualified Yes, whatever it is, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, whoever you want me to reach out to, the answer is yes. Before you ever ask the question, the answer is yes. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, and now when Lincoln was president, the, uh, I, I wasn't a good youth pastor. Number one, I'd never been part of a youth group, but number two, I didn't like teenagers. So it was, no, I did love teenagers. I, I did love teenagers. But, but I didn't know how to be a youth pastor, but, but there was one series that I taught in uh, Muncie, Indiana, where I served as a youth pastor, and the will of God, and uh, there's a story that I told, and I never forgot that story. It was about a businessman that had come to know the Lord, and when he came to know the Lord, he was like the people Paul's describing. They, they gave, he gave himself unreservedly to God. And uh, so in business-like fashion, one day sitting in his office, just overwhelmed by the grace of God. And you know what? When's the last time you were overwhelmed by the grace? We need to be overwhelmed every day by the grace of God. And he's just sitting there, just so grateful and so uh, thankful to the Lord. And so he takes out a legal pad, an eight and a half by 14 yellow pad, and he starts writing, and in business-like form, he, he writes out a contract between himself and the Lord. And he puts everything that he can possibly think, Lord, I'll give this, I'll go here, I'll do this. He just fills up everything that could, he could possibly think of. He says, Lord, it's yours. And at the end of the third page, he signs it at the bottom. Then he gets up from his desk and he goes to the church where he'd come to know the Lord. And uh, he walks into the worship center and there's nobody there. He goes down to the altar and he kneels and he presents that to the Lord. He says, Lord, here's what I'm willing to do. And he felt like the Lord whispered to his heart, I'm impressed. 
And that made him feel good because he wanted to bless the Lord. He it was just all in. He'd gone all in. But then he heard the Lord say, now rip it up. And he goes, well, what do you mean, Lord? You said you were impressed. He said, I am, but now rip that up. And so obediently he ripped it up. And then he felt the Lord spoke to him and said, now take a blank piece of paper, sign it at the bottom, put that on the altar and let me fill it in. Because that's what God wants of each and every one of us is to go all in. So how do you know if you've gone all in? Well, your whole life changes. Your attitude about everything, especially about giving, changes. Here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, there's four attitudes that change when you know the Lord. Number one, we see giving as a privilege, not as an obligation. 2 Corinthians 8, 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of, uh, to the Lord's people. They, they didn't say, they didn't say I, do I have to give? No, the answer is no, you don't have to, you get to. It's a privilege, not a duty. They desired to excel in giving, not just do the minimum. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, but since you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. When I was pastoring, people used to ask me all the time, and I don't know if they've ever asked you this, BJ or Pastor Rick, but, but they'd say, do I tithe on the net or the gross? <laughs> And I'd say, well, do you want a net or a gross blessing? That was my answer all the time. You know, that, that's, that's under that obligation giving. But those who have gone all in, they don't want to do the minimum. They want to excel in giving. And then thirdly, they understood the joy of giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in a small church in the middle part of Tennessee in Manchester. And uh, we had a pastor that had never pastored before. He was a wonderful man, but he, I mean, just didn't have a lot of experience. And so every week when it came to the offering, he would basically say the same thing. And about every other week, he'd tell this same joke. He'd say, he'd read this scripture and he says, and God loves a cheerful giver. And then he'd pause. And then he'd go, but he'll take it from a grouch. <laughs> I want you to know God will not take it from a grouch. Pastor BJ will. I would as a pastor, but God, but God will not. God wants us to go all in. And when we go all in, when we go all in, when we realize that he went all in for us and we go all in for him, then our attitude towards giving changes. Secondly, so that living is personal and proportional. It doesn't only just go all in. It's personal and it's proportional. This morning, your pastor's already shared with you that, that at the end, you'll receive an offering for priority one. And I'll re talk to you about priority one in just a moment here. But, but we're not asking everybody to give the same thing. The only thing we're asking is that you pray and then you obey. You pray and say, Lord, we're going to challenge you to help us build a dorm room. And I'll share that need just a moment uh, in Burkina Faso. And, and we're just, you know, there may be some people here today that could say, you know what, I could build a dorm room. It's $2,500 to build a dorm room in Burkina Faso. And others could say, well, I could only give $25. And others may say, I could only give $250. What it matters is that you pray and you obey. Because now, listen to this, 2 Corinthians 8, 12. For if the willingness is there, 
The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. See, one of our, our, our the largest giver to priority one, and I may have shared this uh, last time I was here, but is uh, a guy named uh, Green, and he owns a little company called Hobby Lobby. Anybody ever shop at Hobby Lobby? And David Green, they, they give 50% of the profit of Hobby Lobby. Every month they give it away. Their family meets on a set Tuesday every month. They have a special room where they meet. They pray about the needs that have been shared, and then they give millions of dollars all over the world. And we're thankful for that. And so he's given this year, a year ago, he gave a million and a half. This year he gave a million. And, and the Lord spoke to me as we were, as we were presenting these dorm needs and, and challenged Nancy and I to give. And let's just say it doesn't have as many zeros after our initial offering than his did. But God's not up in heaven going, look, there's David Green. Give him the special treatment. Pour out blood. No, God sees our heart and he speaks to us according to what we have, not according to what we don't have. And see, we need to understand that because some people say, well, if I can't go big, I won't go at all. But it's not about going big. It's about being obedient. And it's about seeking the Lord. Because what you have to offer is never too small or too insignificant. And don't, don't fall prey to that lie that says if you can't go big, don't go at all. What God wants to do today, I can promise you this, is for each and every one of us to stretch our faith. God wants us to grow in our faith and to grow specifically in our generosity. As, and that's what he's doing. What, wherever you're at, God's wanting you to grow. Uh, Jesus told a story that illustrates this principle that it's not the amount, it's the heart. And it's the obedient. Remember the story in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 12? Jesus is sitting there in the temple watching. That's interesting. He's watching people give. Wouldn't that be exciting if Jesus could just sit here and take the offering and, oh, he gave five, he gave 500, he gave, no. But that, he's doing that. And the, and the religious leaders are giving huge sums, but they're making a big show out of it. And then this little widow lady comes and she gives what the scripture says, two cents. Two cents compared to, we don't know the amounts, but elaborate amounts. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, she is out giving them all because she gave her all. And what God wants today is not for you to match so-and-so in their giving, but for you to match what he asked of you to match. That's the difference. I um, Don't make the mistake of comparing your giving to someone else's. God has a plan that will stretch your faith. So what, what about these dorms? Well, in Burkina Faso, and I've had the privilege of going there each of the last two Mays, and uh, I may have told you one of the times I've been here that when I got to Burkina Faso, we found it was 105 every day we were there. It was dusty, dirty. It, I mean, it's the dirtiest country I've ever been to, the dustiest country I've ever been to, the poorest country. Well, I've been to Haiti. They're, they're pretty close. And I fell in love with it, not because of what was there, but because of who was there, the people. And the Assemblies of God in that country um, is the largest Protestant denomination. It's about 21 million people in the country. 60-some percent are Muslim. 
26%, I think, are Christians, and the Assemblies of God leads the way with that. It was the one of the very first nations that the Assemblies of God ever sent missionaries to. Wasn't the first, but one of the first. Legendary missionaries like Charles Greenaway and Del Tar have served there. And they did such a great job that now there's no missionaries there. It's all indigenous. All the people, uh, they have Burkina Faso people that are, are the head of the Bible schools, that are the head of the Assemblies of God there. It's really wonderful to see how, how God has blessed that. But they still need our help because of the poverty that's there. They have six schools there that we've helped build with Priority One. And one of those, the school to the furthest north, I can't say the name. I, I'm not smart enough to get the name. But uh, the Muslims from Mali came in, radical Muslims, and destroyed the school. They killed a number of Assembly of God pastors and burned churches. But the Burkina Faso people were not to be deterred. They said, we're not going to let the Muslims win. So they moved a couple hours south and, and through Priority One and some others, they rebuilt the school. And I got to be at the graduation of that school, the first graduation in the new school, out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, then I got to preach the graduation each of the last two years at Kubri, which is kind of the main school close to the capital of Ouagadougou. And, and, uh, and it's unbelievable to be, I wish all of you could go, 5,000 people on the campus that day, all colorful, all happy and singing, and it's unbelievable. But, but last fall, the school at Kubri had 2,500 applicants but they could only accept 100 because that's all the room they had. Now, we were able to put another 100 or so in other parts of the, uh, other parts of the country, but that meant that 2,300 students that had gone all in, that had said yes, that had signed that piece of paper and said, Lord, whatever, you fill it in, and they'd said yes, and they want to reach their country, and they're willing to go. 80% of the graduates from the Bible colleges go back to their villages and plant churches. Now, somebody could do the math real quick, 2,300, 80%. That's like 18, 1,900 churches that will not be started because we didn't have room. This church helped build a room already, and we thank you for that. But we've committed right now to continue to build rooms and the school sessions will start in October. I think it's October 10th. And they're able to add 100 new students this year on top of the 100 that, uh, so 200 total because of faithful churches like you. And thank God for your giving. So that living goes all in. It's personal and proportional. And thirdly, so that living is supernatural. What do I mean? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial and their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, how many knows that's not, a, that's not a pretty picture there. Severe trial, overflowing joys, extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, listen to this, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely or on their own. They did what was natural and they did it in faith and God added his super to their natural and supernaturally they gave beyond their ability. They gave beyond their ability. Can I, can I just give a personal testimony this morning? You all, you all that have been here for a few years know that we retired um, 
be four years this December, Rick, and uh, uh, moved from Jackson, Tennessee to Knoxville because everybody knows this is the best part of the state because it has my granddaughters in it. So that's, we prayed and God said, go where the girls are. So we followed the granddaughters. But, but one of the things that I was hesitant about retiring on, and if you, I hope you understand my heart is, is uh, when I share this, but it was, we didn't know, we had a heart for missions. We've always had a heart for missions. And over the years, Nancy and I have always, above our tithe, given another somewhere between 10 and 20% above our tithe to missions. Our church was, was a great missions church. And, and, and in, in retiring, in looking at retiring, we knew, we'd, we knew we had saved and God was going to take care of us. And we weren't concerned about that. But we didn't know how we would keep up our level of giving to missions. And right just before I retired, I went to a minister's retreat in Pigeon Forge. They just had it this week, and we had to go to California for the funeral. But um, at that retreat, the mission, missionaries were sharing, and Pastor Terry, the superintendent, said, all of you need to give. And that was it. There was no offering. There was no pledges. And it just grieved me. It made me mad, if you want to know the truth. But, but because we're Christians, it grieved my spirit. And uh, so I, I went up and I asked Pastor, I said, can I say something? I don't know if you were there, if you remember it. But, but he said, yeah, go ahead. And so I challenged the churches. I said, we, got, we can't just pray for these missionaries. We got to get behind them. And so we challenged people and people began to respond. I think there were 13 missionaries there that, that retreat. And, um, and then I let Pastor, Pastor Terry led the response time. And I went back to my seat and the Lord spoke to me and said, for the first time in our life, we had just concluded our missions convention at Northside the day before there in Jackson. And for the first time in years and years and years, we had not made a faith promise because we weren't gonna be there. And he spoke to me and he said, you need to lead the way. And so we, we got back up for just a moment and we took on 13 missionaries ourselves and and then we added a few more over the years and can I tell you and when I say this I hope you understand I'm bragging on him because we don't know how it's happened but last year we gave more dollars to missions than we've ever given on our entire life and we're on retirement income <laughs> And this year, we've already outgiven what we gave last year. You say, how has it happened? Because we gave according to our ability, and then God gave even beyond our ability. God wants to do something supernatural. You say, how does that? People say, how do you do that? I don't know. I don't know how we've done it. We, re we pray and we obey. We, we, we let God show us what he wants us to give. And then it comes. I don't know how to explain that. 2 Corinthians 9 says it this way, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, that's the supernatural part. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, and he will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God wants to grow your faith to the point where you're not giving naturally, 
You're giving supernaturally. That's what so that giving is all about. It can't be explained. Don't, don't allow circumstances to control your giving. I mean, how many times we do that? We, what we do is we do the Dave Ramsey method. Thank God for Dave Ramsey, but it was easier to live by faith before he became popular. Because, <laughs> you know, I never had an emergency fund. I, I have all those things now, but and so I'm not knocking Dave Ramsey. I think if everybody followed his principles, but, but, but there are times when it doesn't make sense. And here's the question. Will you give by reason or will you give by revelation? Because reason says I've got, you know, $10 and it's going to take nine fifty to make it through the week. So that means I've got 50 cents left over. Revelation says, God, what is your will? What is your plan? What do you want me to give? And until you've stepped out in faith, aren't you tired of hearing other people's testimonies? You know, I, I just get tired of hearing other people's testimonies. And there are times when I say, Lord, I want a testimony too. But you can't have a testimony unless you're willing to step out in faith. So that living goes all in. It's uh, personal and proportional. It's supernatural. And finally, so that living is committed. It's committed. And you know what it means when I say finally? <laughs> Not a lot. All right. No, I'll try. Hurry. 2 Corinthians 8, 11. Now finish. Everybody say finish. finish. Oh, you done? Tired of me preaching? You're telling me all right. No, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. I caution you today to give out of obedience, not emotions. Missionaries can come and tell sad stories and pull on your emotions. Don't, don't respond because it's emotional. Respond out of obedience. Because if it's out of emotion, you're not going to complete the work. Your emotions are going to wear off. How many ever, you don't have to raise your hand. Please don't raise your hands. But, but maybe some of you, like me, have been in a service. It's all hyped. It's all excited. I remember one time at that retreat, or maybe it was a district event of some kind, and Dwayne Jones spoke. And, and if you ever heard Dwayne Jones, he could pull your heartstrings unlike anybody else. And they had pastors stand all across. And there was $100,000 pledge because the emotion was high. And less than ten or fifteen thousand dollars came in through the rest of the year, because emotions cool off. So you don't give out of emotion. You give out of obedience. You give because you've prayed and and heard the voice of the Lord. So here's what's going to happen: if you take the step of faith, at least this is what's happened in our life. When we take the step of faith, it's been incredible how God has supernaturally. Put the seed. Now, he who gives seed to the sower. Remember that? We just read it. He who gives seed. So he puts seed into our hands. But then we have to decide what to do with the seed. One of my missionary friends, uh, Steve Evans, that I went to Bible college with, he's in the south, southern part of Africa there in South Africa and uh, a couple other nations. And he told about one time he came to our church and he told a story about being in a village, a drought-stricken village. And when he got there, he saw the bloated bellies of the babies because of malnourishment. 
and uh, there had been no food, no rain for a long time. And while he was there, uh, uh, an organization brought a truckload, a semi-truckload of grain into the village. And the chief in the village began to shout and dance and sing and rejoice. And then he said it was very, it was, it was unusual. He said, within a few moments, all that rejoicing turned to somber reflection. And he asked the chief, he said, what's going on? He said, why are you, he said, you all were dancing and now, now you look so serious. And the chief said, we're, we're serious because we have to decide, will we eat the grain and live now or will we plant the grain and expect a harvest when the rains come? So you got to put it in your hand, but it's amazing how many times I've seen God put it in people's hands and then they go, oh, wow, now I can get that new car, now I can get those new tennis shoes, now I can get whatever it is. No, you got to decide to finish the work. God placed the seed in our hands. What are we going to do with the seed? When um, several years ago, the girls were still in college, and uh, we decided to take a family vacation to do a cruise. We'd never been on a cruise as a family. So we got a cheap cruise out of New Orleans, and, and we all drove down there. And, and the problem is there's no college girls that want to be on a cruise with their old, old parents, you know. And so we said to them, here's the ground rules. You have your cabin. We have ours. Now, we'll meet every night in the dining room for dinner. If you want to hang out with us during the day, we'll let you know what we're doing. But you don't have to. You can do whatever you want. And so most of the time, Krista, the one that lives here, she was at the pool sunbathing. Jamie, our oldest, she's an attorney. She was in her room reading. And uh, I, I was on, I'd taken a book called A Hole in Our Gospel. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of that book, but it's powerful by Rich Stearns. It's his testimony. He was president of the Linux Corporation, which I didn't even know what that was. It's fine china and crystal and all. It's all about excess, all about things, plates that you can go to Walmart and buy for $5 or you can pay 50 there. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a great job for him. But he'd been asked to take over World Vision. The founder of World Vision had stepped down and they wanted, which is a ministry that takes care of the poorest people in the world. And it's his journey, and it was unbelievable. And here I am on a luxury ship, surrounded by luxury, reading about the poorest people in the world, and I'm broken. I, I mean, it broke me. And I'm sitting there crying, and there's nothing worse than a 300-pound man crying on an ocean liner. And um, when we'd come together at night, the first night I shared, so let me share with you what I read. And second night, let me share. And the third night, Jamie, the lawyer, she goes, oh, dad, you'll get over it. And, you know, it hurt my feelings and it made me mad. First of all, she shouldn't be like her mother's side of the family and talk like that. <laughs> that would teach Nancy to stay in California an extra day. No, she's probably more like me, but it made me mad. Because, I mean, the real reason it upset me, because it was true. It was true. Because it's easy to get stirred, but it's harder to be changed. Right. And we as Pentecostals, Charismatics, whatever you want to call us, 
We love to be stirred. We love to have our emotions stirred. We, we love to make these grand commitments, but then God says it's not enough to make a commitment. Finish the work. Finish the work. BJ said, some of you can, because you're not ready to you know, give for October today, said you can make a pledge. It's one thing to make a pledge, another thing to follow through on the pledge. So finish the work. My last story, look, closing the book. Probably the most unusual trip that I ever took on, in missions was with the Union University Lady Bulldog basketball team. The Union is a Southern Baptist school, one of the oldest. They just celebrated their 200th anniversary uh, there in Jackson, Tennessee, where I pastored. And both the men's coach and the women's coach were part of our church. And the women's team was one of the best small college teams in the whole nation. They won six of eight national titles the last eight years they were in the NAIA. They were, they were amazing. And, uh, but the coach wanted them to know that there was more to life than basketball. And so Mark, Mark Campbell's his name, and Mark challenged them, and he said, I want all of you to try to raise $2,000, and we'll go to Uganda, and we'll visit the orphanages. And he asked me and a few other guys from Union to go. We were basically chaperones and bodyguards, if you want to know the truth. So we get over there, and the orphan problem in Uganda is unbelievable. And um, we were instructed to take one backpack with our personal things, clothes and whatever we would need, and then the uh, suitcase that we would check, we were to fill up with things that we would give away. And then they gave, they had a bunch of other stuff that they'd raise money for, and those things were filled to give. So we'd do the same thing every day. We'd pull into an orphanage, we'd get out, we'd play with the kids. It was unbelievable. They just so hungry for love. We'd play, we'd wrestle with them, we'd do whatever. And then two of the girls from the team, different girls every day, would give a devotion and then have a prayer response and giving them an opportunity to accept the Lord. Then we'd give out candy, toiletries, clothes, whatever we had. And then we'd go to the next orphan. We'd do two or three orphanages every day. And it's the last day, and we're down to the last orphanage. And we pull into this opening, and we're all looking at each other like, what are we doing here? I mean, it was just it's like a wooded area, and then all of a sudden we're in a clearing. There's no, hut, no huts, nothing. And I said, what? And he said, you'll see. So we get out of the bus, and there's a couple hundred kids that swarm. It's just like bees coming to the honey hive or whatever. And uh, we do the same thing. We love on them, play with them. Girls give a devotion. We give out everything we have left, everything. Now we, we don't have anything. We get back on the bus, and I'm sitting on the passenger, on the driver's side, and uh, on the second row, nobody's in the first row, I'm up against the window, and this teenage boy comes up to the window. He has no shirt on, no shoes, old pair of pants of some kind. And he looks at me and says, hey, mister. He said, give me, give me some candy. And I said, oh, man. I said, I, I'm sorry, but we don't have any candy. We gave it all away. He had a look of disappointment. He said, hey, mister, give me one of those hats, those red union hats with the U on. And I go, oh, man, I, I, we don't have any hats. We gave it all away. And he goes, hey, mister, 
give me a bar of soap. And that broke my heart because no teenage boy wants a bar of soap, but they were that desperate. And again, I had to say, I'm sorry. We don't have, we'd given everything away. We didn't have anything. And he turned and he walked away, walked four or five steps. And he stopped and he turned and he looked back at me. And I never have been able to get over this. I can see his face right now. He turned and he looked at me and said, hey, mister, would you give me something that will help me? That's the cry of Burkina Faso right now. 2,300 students called all in, ready to live the so that life. And we had to say, there's no room. And their call to Emmanuel Assembly today and to each of us is, will you give me something that will help me? Let's pray. Father, you know what you're already put in the hearts of your people. And Lord, as we just quietly sit here and we pray a simple prayer, Lord, speak to us. Lord, we commit that whatever you put in our heart, that's what we'll do. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus lived the all-in lifestyle. He came withholding nothing, gave himself on a cross so that we could have life. Thank you, Lord, that I'm forgiven because of what Jesus did for me. And thank you, Lord, that anyone in this room today can have that same forgiveness by just acknowledging their need. Lord, do something supernatural. Do something in this place today, Lord, that can't be explained except to say God was in it. He spoke and the people obeyed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.